1: have accessed Entry 038.JE1543, Certificate Number 26351. The Amargosa Opera House.
0: This opera house on the outskirts of Death Valley, this anomalous ballet theater, is the offspring of a love affair between a woman and an old empty building in the desert. For once upon a time, a renowned ballerina named Marta Beckett, was driving through California with her husband when she encountered the rest of her life. It was she who retired from touring to repair a roof and to paint a mural and to make a dream come true. And that dream lives to this day. And curtain is 815 sharp, and the dance in full costume with full scenery will go on whether you are there or not, whether anyone is there or not. Do you know what borax is
1: <laughs> i have a vague idea mm-hmm. that Go it's, on. it's delivered by mules oh oh interesting do, do, do you remember there do you remember their 40 mule team uh, yeah the 20 ad, ad mule team 20 is it 20 20 mules i think we just had borax in my house that was twice as good
0: and what did you mm-hmm, 40 mule borax the concentrated version <laughs> what did borax do
1: do you remember it's some kind of uh it's made of lye or something or boric. It's some kind of, is it laundry related? Yes. Does it wash clothes or bleach clothes or something? Yes. It's, um, but why, why is it? It's not a detergent. Why, why are you, no. why are people putting borac acid and some kind of alkali on there? On their
0: clothes? Why, indeed! Borax is actually—we we may never know the answer to no, this mystery. No, if, that's you, right. if you haven't googled it. <laughs> oh, oh! Believe me, I have googled it. You know how borax works. You know, I, you t- tend to do all the math and chemistry shows, but uh, but I've decided not anymore. I'm going to do all the chemistry shows, and I'm just going to talk about the atomic. Atomic Table from here on out. You're going to be Mr. Borax. No, in fact, there's already a Mr. Borax, my friend. What? A Mr. Borax by the name of Francis Borax Smith, who was known as Mr. Borax throughout this, the 19th century. This show is already putting the bore back in Borax. <laughs> borax is kind of a crazy miracle mineral. Um, it actually naturally appears, it's not lie. it naturally appears as Borax. Um like that's actually the chemical name it's not just a trade name. Okay. Yes, and it's um uh, there is an element within borax boron uh which can be distilled out of borax one would assume. Um but borax is um is a strange and useful salt that's employed in a lot of um a lot of in uh, applications both industrial and commercial to this and, day like does well, my detergent at home have borax in it? it um, not unless it says so. Okay. Um, borax is uh, an alkaline deposit that forms in uh, kind of like playas, you know, like inland seas mm. that uh, that are you know that are evaporative. Some kind of dry seabed. Yeah, they're called endahaic basins, terminal basins, where it rains and it becomes a marsh and then it evaporates and what's left behind is often borax. And you can think of it as a, you know, you see them around hot springs. They're crystalline um, deposits that were known back into, um, you know, sort of, Ming Dynasty China and earlier, first used as a glaze for pottery. Oh. Um, or first, you know, first kind of uh, introduced to the West as... as First used as a glaze for donuts,
1: but then that guy mm, died immediately. Mm, delicious. And thereafter used as a glaze for pottery.
0: Used for a glaze for pottery, and, you know, they were a thing that had kind of been known. It's a crystal, so you would... You, they've been known since prehistoric times, but not, there wasn't really, um, it wasn't discovered their utility for many centuries. And then little by little, borax and boron, um, like, like so much. This is one of your weird cobalt
1: shows, <laughs> I just realized.
0: <laughs> this show is all going to be about cornering the market on boron. <laughs> Buy boron. Buy boron now. Uh, people started to see, you know, that it could, well, that it, that that it had a multiplicity of uses not it's not one specific it's not a it's not like a salt that's good for one thing it's good for not like i don't know what's this a crappy salt that's only good for one thing but this salt can do it all it's a salt that can do it all uh, it was only sort of it was only recognized as a that the element the component of of boron uh, or i'm sorry the component of borax the element boron was only identified in the what 19th century, I guess. It's one of the it's one of
1: the lighter elements, right?
0: It's very light. It's got an atomic number of five. I can only think of four
1: elements lighter than. Go me. ahead. Can you name them? Hydrogen. Go. Helium. Sure. Lithium. Okay. And almost certainly beryllium. Is that beryllium. right? Beryllium. Hmm. It, I'm going to look pretty dumb what, if I. Where
0: does oxygen fall in this?
1: Uh, if it's five, oxygen is heavier than boron. Am I right?
0: Check my work. Let's see here. Is can is it possible that oxygen can be heavier than boron? We've got hydrogen, helium, we've got lithium, beryllium, and boron. There we go. Wow, oxygen has an atomic number of 8. I should come on Jeopardy. <laughs> you really should.
1: Carbon is 6. The rest of the show should just be us naming elements that are heavier than boron and then saying by how much. And
0: then 7 is nitrogen.
1: You know what else is heavier? What? Everything in the universe, thulium, polonium,
0: that's cool,
1: molybdenum, so much heavier. That's cool, bro.
0: Um, wow, okay, tell me what's the atomic number of iron? (laughs) Come on, I have no idea. Yes, throw out a guess. I'm gonna be off by like a factor of two. No, let's
1: see. Iron is number,
0: yeah, yeah. 44. No, no. 29. You, you've gone over. 29 is a lot closer. It's 26. <sighs> I said factor in two. I thought I thought actually an interesting thing to do this this winter would be to memorize the atomic table. I know there are so many future links that have it memorized like their times table and they're just really rolling their eyes at us
1: I right feel now. like it would have to be a nuclear winter for me to find that interesting. You don't think that that would be interesting? Just sit and memorize the atomic table. Why wouldn't you? I have a neighbor kid, uh, kind of a... He's always been kind of a... Geeky kid. He's currently studying jazz in upstate New York. And uh, he was fascinated with the periodic table as a youngster and wanted to own every element. He was. Oh, how cool. And he was. Have I talked about this on the show? Because he, uh, he didn't have americium and it was killing him. Yeah. But his grandma had said that, hey, when my smoke detector finally gives up the ghost, you can have all the used americium from my smoke detector. And she'll probably die in
0: a fire because of that. But there she was
1: willing to give her grandkids. <laughs>
0: so many dead. Fire uh, beepers! I have like five in my in my garage.
1: <sighs> Where were you uh, a couple of years ago when this kid was little and americium hungry? I know. I mean, it seems like he could be stealing ca- catalytic converters out of old cars just as easily. But yeah, he was bu- he was accumulating his own periodic table. I think he wanted to display them
0: in kind of Mendelevian order. Oh, wouldn't that be awesome? But I mean, some of those are going to be very radioactive, and some of them you can't—they won't exist for more than a couple of seconds. Well, I mean, that's true of any good hobby. I yeah, mean that's true. Like
1: the the pleasure from almost anything only lasts for a couple of seconds, whether it's um uh a, a perfectly mint copy of some comic book your daughter's ripping up or mm-hmm. or a sex act.
0: He's gonna he's gonna have a tiny invisible little like remnant of what was once Einsteinium. He'll have a he'll be able to draw a chalk circle on his wall. <laughs> Einsteinium was here. It was here. Uh, Francis Borax Smith was, uh, you know, an, an American success story. He was out west prospecting, uh, working initially as a uh, like a firewood gatherer for miners in Nevada and California. And at one point, point he went out, kind of prospecting, sort of looking for firewood more than anything, and stumbled upon Teal's Marsh, which is in that. Death Valley area, uh, around Nevada, California border mm-hmm. and went down to Teal's Marsh and recognized that there in the, uh, in the dried up playa was all this borax and borax, um, you know, was recognized as a useful mineral in, in washing clothes as kind of a bleaching agent. And, uh, and so he staked a claim to Teal's Marsh and began accidental borax. That's right, the best kind.
1: <laughs> and he he was going out looking for firewood. He was afraid he might find a Lorax, but luckily, for instead he found a he
0: found borax. Borax, right? If you were looking for firewood and found a Lorax, oh, what a man. what a drag! He would give you a lecture. So much boring. I talk. speak for the trees. Such a wiener. Um, <laughs> Omnibus is anti Lorax, apparently. <laughs> Pro so, uh,
1: onceler podcast. <laughs>
0: You know, we are Sneetches with stars on our bellies. <laughs> we think so. Uh, so Francis and his brother Julius uh, partnered with a couple of brothers, you know, brothers with the last name Story, who didn't really make it that far into the story.
1: And <laughs> the, the ironically
0: <laughs> named Story Brothers, whom we will forget now. And the Smith Brothers and the Story Brothers founded the Smith and Story Brothers Borax Company. And began to exploit the— Yeah, the, the SSBBC, sure. The Borax. Um, and they were the ones who—and then gradually the Smith brothers bought out the Story brothers, and then uh, Francis brought out, bought out Julius, and it became kind of the Francis Borax—Francis Smith Borax Company—Smith Borax Company—
1: He's the real scheming succession brother. Yeah, he,
0: he wants all the borax. For a while, it was the Teal's Marsh Borax Company. It went through a lot of, there's a lot of capitalism in this story. Uh, this story is very hardly compatible with Marxism. I can't at
1: believe you didn't start this during the Pleistocene when the borax was originally forming.
0: <laughs> but it didn't belong to anybody then. North but,
1: America was once underwater, that's, Ken.
0: That's usually what I would do. Uh, but... So Francis Smith uh, starts exploiting borax, and he's the one that—or uh, or rather, his New York agent is the one that devised the uh, 20-mule team uh, brand that was—that described the method of— Yeah, I'm hazy on this. What do mules have to do with borax? Well, so so these borax-producing playa are— w- At the time, well away from anything, and it may surprise you to learn, still well away from anything, uh, because they're out. This is Death Valley. This is Death Valley. These are the the hottest, driest, flattest uh, lands with zero features. Lowest.
1: I'm seeing all of America from high to low, and as a result, I have not been to Death Valley.
0: So scraping – oh, is that right? You haven't been to Death Valley? I have not. You're, you really are going – did you go to the top of Mount Rainier and work your way down?
1: Yeah, I started at the top of Denali. That's where right. I was born, like, oh. like Kim Il-sung. Uh-huh.
0: And I've been, <laughs> I've been working my way down ever
1: since. No, I lived at sea level my whole life, actually. So. Yeah, it's pretty nice. It's great. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's temperate. Not, it's not good when you want to go hike in uh, in the Rockies, I've found. Mm. Every
0: once in a while, there's a bomb cyclone you have to look out for. Or, or a heat dome. Uh, but – It was really uh, Francis Borax Smith that popularized the multiplicity of uses of borax. Prior to that— That's
1: what I would do if I owned a ton of borax. I'd be making up stuff left and right. Ladies, put this on your underarms. Yeah, if
0: people called you Mr. Borax, that's what you would do. And the 20 Mule team, they were were mining borax out in the desert, and the nearest railway terminal— was many miles away and they would hook up these giant, because it's flat, there's nothing there that you, you don't have to climb a hill. They would hook up these giant 30 ton, uh, loads in enormous carts or enormous, um, what do you call them? Uh, Coaches? No, uh, yeah, mule carts. Sure. But big, 30 tons and they would hook up 20 mules. If you can imagine that's four and four and four and. And four, I see, and a and another four. If you can imagine, a fifth four. It's a fifth four of mules, um, and this became the brand of borax, the the brand of um, Smith's borax, and it was. And then they're using The mules are getting it to the station. They're getting it to the train, and it it which is far away remained very difficult to um, to get borax from because as, as uh, the borax mining chased the borax, right? You take all the borax from one place, you go to the next. Plus it's, it's just moving. It's, it's, it's a conniving little salt. It is. And it's, and it's tricky. It's like kinda... mining anything, the, the, uh, the mineral tries to get away.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why it's so hard to prospect for gold. <laughs> the gold's like, it's floating through the air, like Wee! spice trying to get away from Kyle McLaughlin. Can't catch me.
0: Uh, so each time, you know, and, and ultimately, uh, Ultimately, Smith built a couple of railroads to get to his Borax fines because he he was a capitalist and he would buy other people's Borax claims. People were going in and out of the Borax game and he would he'd, you know – He'd murder their families. He was waiting for financial ruin. He would build railroads and then the Borax the, – the energy, the intensity of Borax mining would switch to somewhere else and he would re – Re-saddle up the 20 mule teams. Look, if you're Mr. Borax, you cannot diversify.
1: Back into Th- the reins. This guy cannot start making, um, uh, you know. Uh,
0: yes. Mercury thermometers. He did not start making mercury thermometers. He's Mr. Borax. But he did diversify quite a bit. Uh, he became, so we were talking in the last episode about the real estate in the Berkeley, Oakland Bay Area. Yeah. And how it was, uh, you know, it it was this commodity that invented, or that that uh, that helped Georgism, that helped, form. Give, yeah, it
1: helped give birth to uh, really the first awareness of rampant wealth inequality in the Western states.
0: Francis Smith converted his borax money into uh, like a Bay Area real estate empire. And was out there— That's where the smart money was. That's right. He's out there buying up uh, buying up Bay Area money, sort of in the same era, right? Uh, the um, post-Civil War, like, late 19th century. I mean,
1: 1871 is exactly when Henry George sees land value spike and thinks, I bet there's a book in this.
0: And I imagine the two probably met uh, because they were— they were in the same zone. I'm gonna write a little one act play about this. Francis Smith actually built uh like public railroads, like commuter uh rail in East Bay. Interesting. And um to,
1: to increase the value of it. You you just said commuter and Alexa thought you were saying you know what. Alexa. So we can't even say commuter anymore. Commuter. This is this is the new the new uh illiberal left. They won't even let you say commuter.
0: I hope, I hope that, uh, that Bezos enjoys all of these like snippets of omnibus that keep coming across his desk.
1: It it was his mistake that he gets a text every time (laughs) anyone talks to Alexa. He didn't have to do that. Even if he's in space, he gets a text.
0: He could have done something else. You're right. Uh, yeah, Borax, or I'm sorry, Smith gets into the, um, the real estate game. He makes and loses a fortune. Uh, he builds an enormous mansion in the Bay Area, and also goes back east and builds an enormous mansion. He has a private rail car that takes him back and forth.
1: He has a wife and children made of borax that he makes gentle love to. The wife, not the kids.
0: His wife is a uh, couldn't have kids, but she became a champion of of um, a, of orphans, adopting girls and raising them. And then that's nice. She I died. Like Mrs. Borax. Yeah, she was nice. She died, but then her. But then, uh, Mr. Borax, in his sixties, married her assistant. With her blessing, and then they had four kids. Isn't she dead? Did he have a séance to get her blessing? She said she gave her blessing on her way out. Hey, honey, if She's I
1: ever like, die, I told my wife this, if I ever die, please marry my assistant.
0: <laughs> I believe. Please the marry my chose, assistant, John Roderick. <laughs> she did. She did do that. Oh, I could do worse than than Mindy for sure. Um, and they, and so he and his family would go every summer back east to their their thousand acre. Mega mansion on Long Island, or or whatever Gold Coast there, and Newport, then, wherever yeah. it is, and then they would come back uh, west in the winter to to live in. It, he was a colorful character, um, and he was the one that made borax a global commodity. He in his advertising text, he said uh, borax can clean cashmere, keep milk and cream sweet what? as a food additive. Is that true? You put borax in dairy? Uh, people used borax as a food um, additive, additive for many years. It, uh, it prevents diphtheria, lung fever, and kidney trouble. This is, these are his quotes. He's a, he's a snake oil guy now. Borax ends up over time being used as a water softener, uh, as an acidity regulator in food, as an anti-caking agent, um, but also, oh, right, because it's, it's a strong
1: alkaline. It yeah. cuts down on the acidity of, of the, the dairy you're processing
0: or whatever. right. But it's anti-alkaline uh, like uh, features also make it an effective pesticide against uh, crawling bugs. It's used in toothpaste as an, as an abrasive. Uh, but it also features in skin lotions, skin creams, Borax is great, Joe. I know. It's a suntan lotion. I feel like the mules that brought us that Borax
1: should be like. All 20 of them? All 20 of them. And They're, their children? They should be statues of them <laughs> in every American uh, town hall. Imagine
0: a life-size statue of a 20 mule team. Oh, man. That'd be so great. That'd be really great, especially if you put it in the Bay Area. I can't believe we don't have that now, especially
1: given my wife's love of donkeys. It was. Does she have a love of donkeys? She does. Oh. Not in like a weird claw way, but yeah. like she thinks they're adorable.
0: She and I have not ever discussed it. You do, know, we haven't have seen each other in a while. I should invite you guys over to dinner as I've been promising. You to keep do saying for, you will. For 10 years. <laughs> 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 Who was president when you first asked us over? We're just going to start showing up. I think you should. You know, Mindy is such a good person to invite to a party because she will almost certainly bring a casserole and bring me those M&M cookies. That you got. That you got shafted from today. Yeah. Ken, your hair is looking good. It didn't used to. <laughs> your hair looked terrible. It used to look really bad, and now it's looking full and puffy. And and uh, what, what, what are you doing differently? I feel like my hair was getting a little bit thin.
1: Mm. Um, but there's something you can do about that now. Again, we live in the future. It's an age of wonders.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean... Not all of us have the opportunity to be on national television, and I don't know, with all of the kerfuffle and hullabaloo, have you thought maybe that your hair was playing a role? I do actually get seen from behind
1: a lot on The Chase, which made me think about uh, whether or not I was getting a bald spot up there. But there's there's no shame if you do. Two out of three... Guys are going to experience male pattern baldness like in their early 30s. Right. You know, and then it just, it just, the numbers tick up from there. Um, So while you still have hair left, it's, it's really hard to get it back. But while you still got it left, you can, you can slow that roll. Slow the roll. And uh, and even, re- in some cases, reverse hair loss. Reverse the role. By getting FDA-approved uh, medicaments.
0: But where do you get them? I mean, do you go to the drugstore and stand there just holding up different medicaments and trying I mean, to figure
1: out what to it's do? It's worse than that. Sometimes they even require a prescription. Um, uh-huh. So I recommend keeps. So you don't have to go to your doctor's office to get a prescription or consult on which remedy is right for you. Yeah. With keeps, you just do that doctor's visit online, and then the medication gets delivered straight to your home. Um, oh, that
0: sounds a lot better.
1: No drugstore lines, uh, no doctor's visits.
0: Uh, it's uh, it's the right way to do it. Is there any other uh, uh, hair loss uh, purveyor that has more five-star reviews than Keeps?
1: Yeah, there's several.
0: <laughs> no, of <laughs> course not. Lol.
1: Let me tell you, Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competitors, more than 100,000 satisfied clients, Uh, you know, they pass those savings along to you. Is it expensive? No, the treatment at just $10 a month. And let's off. Should we offer our listeners uh, a little
0: something here? You know, I'm feeling generous to our listeners. Why don't we give them, let's say. Your first month free. I don't know. That's a pretty good deal. I think so. Let's do it. Let's do it. Just for our friends at Omnibus.
1: We can afford it. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to K E E P S.com slash Omnibus and receive your first month of treatment for free. That's
0: K-E-E-P-S slash Omnibus, and Ken and I are going to ensure that you get your first month free. K-E-E-P-S slash Omnibus. Borax also finds its way into paint and glaze, one of its earliest uses. It's an herbicide against those plants that don't like alkaline borax poured around their, their roots. Um... It is boron itself is used in fiberglass. That's what that's its main use now. You extract the boron from the borax. Yeah, you take the boron from the borax. You put it in. <laughs> put it with the gold man. <laughs> you take this. Give it to Stan. Uh, no, it, it's uh, it's it's an ingredient in fiberglass, but it's also used in polymers. Uh, borosilicate glass is a, is a, a, a better grade of glass than potash glass.
1: I feel like we've just succeeded
0: in making kind of a boring
1: 1950s industrial film about borax.
0: Yeah. Gee, Mr. Roderick, I never (laughs) knew borax was in so much stuff. The turbo encabulator (laughs) takes the borax. Uh, It's also a main component in slime, Ken. Oh, like the Nickelodeon,
1: the the Gak stuff?
0: Yeah, the fun slime. I
1: feel like when I make it at home, I don't use any kind of alkaline type stuff. Maybe that's what cornstarch does.
0: Yeah, what are you making slime Oh, no, wait,
1: that's Gak. Gak and slime are different. I've, we only use borax free
0: slime in the Jennings household. Well, the best slime is made of borax. Uh, so Smith uh, falls on hard times. He loses all his money. Then he makes his way back. He loses control of the Pacific Coast Borax Company, which is what it is ultimately called. Oh, no. um, and then he gains back. He gets back into the borax game. I uh, you think up, you're out, and <laughs>
1: you're back into the borax.
0: <laughs> he ends up leasing uh, a piece of land in suckow california suckow suckow it's the suckow claim outside of i guess it's it's actually in boron california because that yeah. part of california they're really imaginative
1: i feel like you don't want to have bore or suck in your name if you <laughs> if you're like trying to sell land in death valley
0: yeah suck out, uh, claim in boron california and you know boron is called boron uh in imitation of carbon. Uh, the O N oh, right. uh, suffix, and maybe it's called m- boron. What is carbon? Borbon. boron. Yeah, I guess I'm pronouncing. And that's it That's why right. bourbon is called that. Yeah, because it's yeah.
1: Well, I mean, there's it's a tradition the of, of a tradition of all the newly named uh, noble gases being named in imitation of of uh, the lightest ones, argon and uh, right. You know, that's why krypton and xenon and radon and so forth are all blank
0: on blank on uh, rock on rock on rock on rock on francis smith uh, ends up getting the buying the lease uh for the suck out claim although he never exploits it um it's suck out not suck out okay <laughs> i think you said suck out yeah uh he buys the claim he never exploits it in his lifetime but it becomes later one of the one of the uh the further iterations of the pacific coast borax company which is now owned by the rio tinto conglomerate ends up exploiting the Succao uh claim and it became the largest boron borax mine in the america's second largest in the world it's a rich rich borax vein it is it's the it's an open pit mine largest open pit mine in in uh the america
1: no, the open pit, the, the one out in Copperton, Utah, it's got to be bigger, isn't it? Isn't, isn't that the biggest mm, open pit Maybe it's pit the mine? biggest one in California.
0: It's a really big one, let's just say it. Uh, and There's no two ways around it, John. This is a big, big, this is a big borax mine. mine. The largest producer of borax in the world is turkey, huh. but uh, the uh, Rio Tinto borax mine is the second largest producer of borax. I feel like we need to compete with turkey. Those guys don't even know what color the spirit is. Or, hmm. or the phantom, not the hmm. spirit. They don't know what color the phantom is. The phantom is red. The spirit is purple. Uh, anyway, some successor of the Pacific Coast Borax Company is out in Death Valley mining borax. Mining their own business. They're getting. They're getting. They're pulling borax out in twenty mule teams. Um, at a at a certain point, they build a. They build another railroad. A couple of railroads have been built over time. All of this was going toward the Central Pacific Railroad for a while. Now, a railroad spur is built to the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe spur that's rolling in somewhere down there, Death Valley-wise. You know, Death Valley is very low. You can't really build a train down the hill. And if I'm
1: not mistaken, isn't this true that, like, it's only, like, 100 miles away from the highest point in the continental U.S.? Like, Mount Whitney is also there in Inyo County.
0: It's insane. I I have been to Death Valley, and on the way down to Death Valley, we burned up the brakes in the— In the van. uh, Because it was both very steep and very hot. And then on the way up out of Death Valley, we were driving up this very, very steep mountain. Didn't need the brakes. But then on the other side, what we didn't realize is it's down the mountain again. That's the thing about a mountain range. And we didn't have any more brakes. And so we really were in super mortal danger. Like you literally didn't have brakes? Uh, The brakes heated up. They were, it was, this was at night. They were glowing like embers like coals hot coals and you just had to
1: coast all the way
0: into so at a certain point and so we stopped at one point and we're pouring you know water on the brakes big steam coming out no one around because it's the middle of death valley in the middle of the night we saw a ufo the only time i've really ever seen a ufo outside of death valley we all saw it but after the fact uh immediately after the fact 30 seconds later we started trying to describe it to each other and all four of us saw a completely different thing if you had interviewed us the next day, we would have said, you know, it was like blind men describing an elephant.
1: That's almost proof that it's a uh, that it's a real UFO, because you know, it's so, you know, something was done to your brains right. by the weird effect of the of the Greys, alien grays. It's the the They abducted the- each of you, implanted a different idea of a UFO in your head and implanted a different glowing bead in your anus hmm. and returned you to the roadside.
0: The greatest trick the greys ever pulled. <laughs> wasn't planting a glowing bead in your anus? <laughs> no, it was convincing uh, uh, the, the four long winters at the time that they, they, that UFOs looked like, in my case, a giant um, radio tower that was slowly rotating through the sky.
1: Oh, it actually had some kind of uh, form. It wasn't just a light. Uh, a to for- you. It had
0: a form and had red lights on it and they were yeah moving... Are the long winners of democracy long-term.
1: such that uh, you did not have to, you could come to no agreement on the nature of the UFO, or does the lead singer's um, opinion on the UFO hold for the rest of the band?
0: Well, no, it actually taught me a valuable lesson, which is that eyewitness accounts are completely un- <laughs> <laughs> unreliable, even when you're all standing right next to each other watching the same thing. Uh, so, no less a personage than Zane Grey. On a tour of the area now in the 1920s. The great Western novelist. The great Western novelist wrote an article about what he found in his travels and described the mi- the mining camp of Death Valley Junction in unflattering terms. Most mining camps probably suck. Yeah. He said that this one sucked. A lot of the uh, the borax miners were Chinese. And is he racist? Also, no. He was saying that their living conditions were not very good, but the food is fantastic. (laughs) If they could, you know, like I had the best Xian noodle. Well, and it was uh, they were very white because they were bleached with borax, and they didn't cake. Right. Uh, But the uh, the the contemporary owners of the Pacific Coast Borax Company decided that they were going to build a little model town, a little model town at Death Valley Junction. And in 1923, they commissioned the architect Alexander McCullough to build a Spanish colonial revival campus that um, that had a 23-room hotel, which is bigger than any hotel in Oregon, even to this day. I was about to say, to this day. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it had, a, you know, it had a uh, employee housing. It had, a, it had hitching posts. It had, a, obviously, places to put a 20-mule team.
1: Why were they pouring money into their workers? That doesn't seem like the kind of thing that companies did back then.
0: Well, what they what they were doing, you're absolutely right. What they were doing was they had built a railroad to to very close to Death Valley Junction, um, called the Tanopa and Tidewater Railroad. That was, uh, it, you know, making the twenty mule teams obsolete. They were going to ship all this stuff out, and borax was still a big, big business. It had become a kind of you know a, a, a cure all, a a, a a miracle. Component, and so the trading, the borax game, the the trading of borax companies, the competition between borax, the borax games, game, we call it. <laughs> um, you know, the railroad not only brought. Uh, the the borax to market but it also brought investors and they wanted to build a town yeah rich fancy people would come out to see the borax operation and i would put their money down at the old put their borax crystals down (laughs) uh so they built a theater there both to entertain the workers and also a kind of you know it was a vaudeville time a vaudeville theater what's the era of this one was this 1920s uh the the town was built between 23 and and 25.
1: It kind of reminds me of the big opera houses that are appearing in the Brazilian jungle in, in the past omnibus entry about rubber barons.
0: Yeah, it was a it was the style
1: of the time. Shakespeare and Tombstone, as they would say in a John Ford movie. Shakespeare and Tombstone or
0: in this case Laurel and Hardy in Death in Valley Death Junction. Death Valley Junction. Kim, do you ever order out? I do. You know, in the old days, you had to call a restaurant and say, hello, do you have a delivery driver? Will you bring me my pizza or Chinese food? Uh,
1: Yeah, there's nothing that made the pandemic easier. And famously, the pandemic was such an easy time Uh than the plethora of takeout and delivery options for those of us who were being deprived of our beloved neighborhood restaurants. And it kept a lot of good places alive, honestly, that did not have survived lockdown.
0: otherwise. That was the thing that seemed most, uh, compelling about it to me as I shamelessly called up, uh, or, or rather called up on an app, a food delivery service was that some of these restaurants wouldn't have survived without it.
1: I'm just thinking back to some of the delicious meals I had recently, thanks to Postmates delivery. I had, there's a, Chicago style pizza place in our neighborhood which is maybe more Detroit style if it's got a big wall of cheese what awful midwestern city is
0: that I'm going to call that Detroit style you uh, know I'm a I'm a uh I'm a big fan of deep dish pizza me too yeah it's not it's not really pizza but it's something better well you know I'm not going to get into that is it or isn't pizza uh there's a
1: sandwich place near me that serves um like a thanksgiving turkey and stuffing and
0: cranberry sandwich mm-hmm. that I really like uh and, and how do you differentiate Postmates from the other uh, delivery services? Like, what what is it that sets it apart?
1: They do more than restaurant food. Like, they'll deliver, you know, if you need uh, a cold remedy from a drugstore.
0: Oh, they'll stop at 7-Eleven for you. If you need
1: a phone charger from a box store. I mean, you can order just about anything. And the app oh. tells you, hey, it just appeared on your porch. Oh, that's uh, cool. Your pocket will go... <laughs> and it'll say, you have a Detroit-style pizza and cold
0: remedy and a phone charger. See, the uh, the, the problem around here is often uh, not that we just want dinner, but we also want ice cream. And ice cream is a tough thing to deliver, but Postmates does it. Not for Postmates.
1: Just download Postmates on iOS or Android, and you'll find your favorite food. The thing you're craving right now, the shopping thing you don't want to rush out and get.
0: Diet Dr.
1: Pepper. It will appear at your house on demand. Your mother's fudge. Uh, My mother's fudge? Yeah.
0: Does your mom make fudge? Is this some kind
1: of obscure insult?
0: My mom makes fudge and it's really the best thing.
1: For a limited time, John, I've got some good news for you and especially to our listeners. Yes. They're giving our listeners a little something. If you're a new Postmates customer... You will get 50% off your first five orders. Say
0: what? Five orders? Your
1: first five orders of $50 or more. All you have to do is use code OMNIBUS. Whoa. This is like free money. You almost can't afford not to use Postmates. Code OMNIBUS will get you 50% off your first five orders of $50 or more. Insane. You could save up to $100 per order. Just download the Postmates app. Or sign up
0: online. It's
1: super easy.
0: Crazy. That's 50% off your first five orders on the Postmates app if you add the promo
1: code Omnibus? Offer subject to change and taxes and fees apply. Offer valid for 30 days after you add the promo
0: code to your account. So the town had a brief flourish, uh, but the Borax game moved on uh, to richer deposits down the road and very quickly, Death Valley Junction became a kind of uh dilapidated place. It had a few few other you know they then they discovered silver somewhere, and all of a sudden the town kind of so it, this is
1: why you never build nice stuff for your workers yeah
0: as as Milton Friedman said <laughs> at its peak, it had a population of roughly three hundred and fifty, except at the time they didn't count all the Chinese workers because. Who could get around to counting all the workers? Three hundred and
1: fifty white settlers. Yeah, and
0: so many, you know, so many and twenty mules. Other Chinese people standing around doing the work. Uh, but by the by, World War Two, the town of Death Valley Junction had. Had become a, uh, a ghost town. The the actually the tracks of the Tenopa and Tidewater Railroad were pulled up in their entirety and shipped to Egypt. Whoa! And then reinstalled as a railroad uh, to fight the the Nazis. Probably powered by mummy uh, powder. Well, powered by. Yeah, tw- more than 20 mules. They probably had locomotives. They shipped the whole damn thing. They had 20 camel teams. This is what... The, well, you know, actually, there was a legend that before the 20 mules, in the very early days of the Borax game, they actually uh, shipped it via camel. But I don't think that that stands up to scrutiny. There, I think we will do a show at some point about the uh,
1: attempt to introduce camels to the American West.
0: But We, we shouldn't just do a show about it. You and I should combine our wealth... Uh, into one pool that we both share equally and then buy a a herd of camels buy a herd of camels and bring them to America and then then, have we learned nothing from Pablo Escobar no this is the thing we use them uh, we use them at Burning Man every year we rent them out at like a thousand dollars an hour and all those Burning Man girls will uh, Instagram them and we'll be rich I mean you're already rich but But, I'll be rich but
1: there's camel rich and there's Jeopardy rich and then there's camel rich like I have I have always dreamed of being
0: camel rich well, after the war, they did not bring the Tidewater Railroad back, and uh, the town fell on hard times. Even harder times. Hard, maybe. hard. Well, it's just, I mean, there are so many ghost towns in Nevada. Although, when I was recently in Nevada, I searched for ghost towns and found just those ghost towns in Nevada that you drive up and it's like, oh, there are some stones on the ground oh. where there wa- or some bricks where there once was a town. Like, I want a t- proper ghost town. I was in the wrong part of the You manner. want your yeah, dilapidated wooden facades. But this, uh, this town was built in the Spanish colonial revival style, so it was stucco. It looked, you know, like an old west town, kind of even then self-consciously, like a movie set almost. So fast forward uh, about 40 years. <laughs> the town is, you know, a little, little, uh, well, it's completely falling apart. And, um, well, let's, let's, Let's not fast forward. Let's (laughs) stay right in 1923 when the town was built. Across our great nation in Greenwich Village, a little girl by the name of Martha Beckett was born. And she was a talented and creative little girl. This is a stunning narrative choice, by the way. Thank you. To suddenly switch to the village. We're in Greenwich Village. Set the scene. A beautiful little girl, Martha Beckett. Ringlets in her hair. Uh, She was uh, kind of a, you know, a... A very artistic girl, she got into ballet at the at the what would be considered the late age of fourteen, but became a a a, a, a talented dancer enough that she became part of the uh, Radio City Corps de Esprit. She was
1: uh, <laughs> she was actually in the ballet company of she, of whatever the New York City ballet
0: was. But. Well, she was she was part of the Radio City. She wasn't a she, she, wasn't, was in the in the, uh, she wasn't a Rockette? She wasn't a Rocket, but she was you know part of the. Part of the Radio City Dance. She's, Corps. she's one of the pit crews that attends to the Rockettes when they come off stage. <laughs> Gives give them a little squirt of water, the, getting and, the tires off, Yeah, her tires. Uh, and then she became a, a, a. She she was in the Broadway productions of Showboat. Uh, she was in a Tree Grows in Brooklyn. She had a career on Broadway, and then moved the Tree out. Tree in
1: Brooklyn it's not a musical, by the way. She was no, no She, no, she, she was, was doing it
0: all. Yeah, she she was an uh, she was singer, dancer, actor. And triple threat and painter. She was a uh, uh, an artist uh, with a you know a multitude of talents. After her Broadway career, after she got you know aged out of her Broadway career, she um, she married her manager, a man by the name of Tom Williams, and the two of them set off across America. She was doing one woman shows in the uh, in the nineteen sixties, kind of in her, in her late thirties and into her forties. Traveling around and doing these performances, you know, a little spoken word, some dance. um, And made a go of it. uh, Kind of ballet, classical ballet. And, uh, I mean, she wasn't doing modern dance. But also sort of a vaudevillian show that she did in little theaters. And she and Tom, you know, moved out to California. Were living in San Francisco, traveling around. And they were getting pretty tired of the, of the life. And by the late sixties, the times had changed. People were looking for more black leotard style dance, more, uh, more jazz hands. They were looking for hippie spoken word stuff. And, uh, and her style of ballet was falling out of fashion. She and Tom were out on tour and in between Gigs. They thought they'd do a little camping. They were pulling a trailer. Mm-hmm. They thought they'd do, and this was, you know, kind of. Hope their brakes don't go out. Her gig. Uh, they might see a UFO. Their brakes did not go out, but they did get a flat tire. Mm. They got a flat tire in the middle of Death Valley, and they limped to Death Valley Junction, where Tom set about uh, fixing the tire. And Martha, who had by this point changed her name to Marta, Beckett, she kept her maiden name. She kind of wandered around the dilapidated ruins of Death Valley Junction, peeping in windows, as you do, and she went over to the theater, which was then called the uh, Corkill Hall, and she peeked in the windows, and then she went around back and peeked in through a hole, in, like literally a hole in the fence or a hole in the the door, and she saw inside this Very quaint little Victorian era or, you know, 1920s era
1: theater. What a cool thing to find in the middle of Death Valley.
0: Yeah. Laying in ruins, kind of. You know, the ceiling had collapsed. The weather had gotten in. The stage was buckled. The, you know, the room was in poor shape. But her little artist's heart begins to beat. 100%. I see. She described it later as having been just absolutely struck by lightning. She believed from that moment, in that moment, she said, This theater is my future. And she convinced Tom, you know, you can imagine her running back to the flat tire and saying, um, Tire, tire, I've found my purpose. Oh, and also Tom. <laughs> and he comes back and takes a look at the theater and agrees that this is a perfect little venue and what a beautiful thing. And he also feels the spirit. It's the, th- it's the spirit of Corkill hall calling out to them. And so they, they, you know, wander around until they find someone who directs them to someone else in Nevada over the border who agrees to lease, or rent the theater to them for $45 a month or something. And they secure the lease and immediately begin Uh, They go back to San Francisco. They, I don't know, pack up all their stuff, and and immediately come out and start restoring the theater. It needs a lot of work, uh, but they, you know, they rebuild the stage. They, uh, you know, they make stage lights out of coffee cans. It's a real mom and pop operation. At this point, Marta is forty three years old. This is nineteen sixty seven, but she's trying to recapture her the excitement of. Youth on the stage. That's right. And they fix up the they, they we'll put on the, the theater. show right here. Well, we're gonna put on a show. And she renames it the Amargosa Opera House. Uh, and the word Amargosa means bitter in Spanish. Yeah, bitterness. And um, and you know, the it, it, it's a reference to the to the region, the Amargosa Desert there. And she begins to put on shows for for whom? There's nobody for miles around. That's the thing. Is it an
1: audience full of coyotes
0: and uh, uh, kangaroo rats? You know, there's a service station. There's a little. They're little adobe kind of. There's children. Not very many people. And as we'll see, well, we won't see in the future because I'll tell you about it right now. The very immediate future in 1970, a uh, a uh, a crew from National Geographic is passing through. Death Valley, on their way to take pictures of some naked lizard somewhere. <laughs> not, and Not
1: one of the clothed ones <laughs> they, in, other, in other parts of California.
0: They pull up in front of the Amargosa Opera House and hear music and go over and look through the door, maybe even the same hole in the door, and they see Marta Beckett dancing ballet to an audience of no one. And they go wow, wow. I mean, that's when you'd be convinced
1: that you were, um, you know, you'd crossed into some David Lynchian surreal world, right?
0: They're they they are really into this, right? Because she's she's very beautiful and she's a uh, she's a wonderful dancer.
1: But the show must go on, even when you don't. They don't sell a single ticket. She uh, she's still up there, huh?
0: And what? Well, what she'd done, what Marta had done, was realize that. Um, You know, she was also a painter and a painter that had, uh, that was, that was quite gifted. And in fact, she'd explored before she went on her uh, vaudeville tour, she'd explored a living as a painter and her her debut in new, in a New York art gallery where they had feet, you know, they had all of her paintings and this was going to be her big, um, her big moment on the New York art scene coincided with the day of the JFK assassination. (laughs) So, it was just like all those bands that put out a record on 9-11-2001. At least she has an alibi. They know she didn't do it. But, you know, she had, she'd had she put a lot of her, her hopes and dreams into her art uh, uh, career. And so, here she was at her Amargosa uh, opera house, and she began to paint murals on the walls. And she decided that she was going to paint the murals in the style of a 16th century Spanish court. And so, the theater had all these... Alcoves and a balcony. And she spent several years painting an audience in the form of a 16th century Spanish court a king and a queen, a jester some knights, bullfighters, monks and nuns. And do, wait, does she Norma Desmond out and think she has to actually perform for these people? So she's performing for her imaginary audience. Oh, no. It's painted in this wonderful sort of trompe l'oeil style. It's uh, their vines hanging down. I mean, it's really like the type of thing that now you might see in an Italian restaurant. <laughs> but, at, you this know. This is at, the
1: first macaroni grill. She <laughs> invented it.
0: At the time, really kind of a, a like, and, and it's a small theater, but but kind of an awesome experience. Well, did people ever come? Well, so National Geographic uh, writes a you know a little piece about like this amazing situation, this this New York ballerina who's out dancing in this abandoned theater. Life Magazine follows up with an article, and it suddenly becomes kind of a hot destination. It's not on the way to anywhere. You really have to make a point to go to Death Valley, but this is an era when Las Vegas is booming, sure. Los Angeles is booming, and so. This can be a weekend out. Yeah, she starts to have uh, she starts to have famous fans. Isaac Asimov comes, um, <laughs> of all people. Of all people, uh, maybe you're just going to alphabetically list a bunch of other
1: celebrities. But no, it's just Isaac Asimov. It's Isaac Asimov, <laughs> Red Skelton. <laughs> Every
0: night, Isaac Asimov uh, yeah, is there. Brigitte Bardot P- pinching the dancers. <laughs> um, Chuck Close. They all come, uh, <laughs> and she becomes a kind of. Uh, you know, like a celebrity of like California weird. Um, and her shows become sort of popular, like in a pre Atlas obscura world, yeah. uh, sort of, it's like that phone booth out in the middle of nowhere in the, in death Valley. Maybe I should save that for an omnibus episode, the mystery phone booth. It's like the pop machine on Capitol Hill, Who which, owns this which, pop machine? which is not there anymore. Why is it still here for years? Ugh. I'll do an omnibus on that when I get back to my Seattle. I think it was the, I think it was the locksmith shop. Uh so she performs on a regular schedule. You think the locksmith shop owned that pot machine? I think they knew what was doing. I think they knew what was going on. But they never cop to it. They never did. I
1: was in there all the time. They never did. Well, how much time do you spend at locksmiths? Quite a bit, actually. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, guys, what's up? Hey, John. It's like it's like your cheers. <laughs> the thing is, I'm always, you know, I'm always like rescuing little safes from burned down houses and trying to get these guys to crack them. Right. You bring in all their interesting work. I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> um, so, uh She continues to perform at Amargosa. Um, In 1983, her husband, Tom Williams, disappears. He leaves her and leaves town. Oh, unless he later turns up dead in the borax. Well, what happened was there was a handyman who was responsible. You know, the thing about this town is it's always kind of falling apart. Like Tom and, and Marta were only able to keep. It sort of just on the verge of collapse. Hmm. And they had a handyman named Tom Willett, uh, whom they called Wilget Tom Williams and Tom Willett? So Tom Williams leaves. Tom Willett is there pushing a broom. And Marta uh, asks him, at some, at some point she sees him do a pirouette or something with his broom. And she suddenly realizes that Tom Willett is... Um, is actually a a naturally gifted comedian. And uh, later, she describes him as her soulmate. Tom Willett then... She replaced
1: her husband with a nearly identically named handyman. That's that's right. That's my number one fear. Tom Tom, (laughs) Willett... I will never hire a a yard guy named Kevin Jensen.
0: Because
1: who knows what could happen. Who
0: knows? Uh, Tom Willett joins her show as her kind of comedic foil... He's a he's a a bigger guy, and um, he wears a two two, but he calls it a four two. Ah, he's a he's love a, that joke. He lolls. He's a like six head. Uh, and he then becomes like an, an integral part of her show. He also is the handyman and her Still. her soulmate. He's servicing uh, the where the the theater and the theater owner. <laughs> <laughs> we never know. We never know. Uh, Marta's. Marta never... She's, she remains inscrutable yeah. in her black leotard. She's very. She's super inscrutable. She continues to perform at the Amargosa Opera House for 40 years. Wow. Um, and uh, and continued to perform until 2012, when at the age of 88, she stopped putting on shows. You know,
1: I always hate it when this, these kind of stories end that recently, because I'm
0: like, you know what, I could have gone. And I heard about this from a friend... On a recent motorcycle trip, he was like, oh, you've never been to the Amargosa Opera House? And I was like, no. He said, I thought you were on tour across America all the time. And I was like, I was. When did you go to Death Valley? I was in Death Valley in 2008, 2007. And he was like, oh, dude, you missed your chance. You drove, And we did. We drove right by Death Valley Junction. Oh. And they, there might have been a show that night, but we were out hunting UFOs with our burning brakes. You can't do everything. Womp womp. At some point in the, um, in, at, in the early 80s, uh, a little girl by the name of Jenna McClinton went to see Marta Beckett's show at the age of six. She, she was in the audience. And seeing this, uh, seeing her ballet show in this little theater inspired her. And Jenna McClinton became a featured dancer in the Oakland Ballet. And was a was a ballet dancer for twenty years, and at, uh, in two thousand fifteen, she ventured out to, um. She ventured out and 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 Beckett was still there. She wasn't dancing anymore, but she had a protege by the name of Hilda Vasquez that she'd been, you know, that as a teen she'd been uh, teaching dance, dance, Dance. le danse, the dance. Uh, Jenna McClinton came out and said, you know, I just wanted you to know that watching your show inspired me to become a dancer. And, um, Marta Beckett, who seems to be someone who finds soulmates and abandoned theaters (laughs) on a fairly regular basis, uh, she and Jenna become fast friends and Jenna McClintock comes out and puts on a series of dance performances there at the, um. At the Amargosa. She forms her own dance troupe called the Teatro El Grande. And they start doing tent, like a tent tour of the American West doing ballet. And she continues to do shows. Also
1: at kind of odd rural places. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Inspired by. um, So Marta dies in 2017. She must have been. 92 years old. Wow. And, uh, the Amargosa became a nonprofit at a certain point in the um, in the 1970s. It continues to operate as a nonprofit, and they continue to put on shows. and You can go there and stay at the hotel. They've refurbished the hotel and uh, and book a night's entertainment at the sh- at the uh, theater, which which still has Marta's murals throughout, huh. and you know throughout the lobby and.
1: Are they good? I'm she continued at, I'm, to I'm paint. looking
0: at pictures now. She spent two years painting clouds on the ceiling.
1: I, um, you know, I said it sounded like a surreal kind of David Lynchian. Oh, the murals are good. Yeah, they are. They're they, cool. They, they could be straight out of like a, you know, a, a, a cute stylized children's book. The, um, I mentioned what a surreal kind of David Lynchian find this must be. In fact, David Lynch must have agreed because he shot part of Lost Highway there. The creepy hotel in Lost Highway is in fact the Amargosa
0: Opera House. There you go. In 2000, there was a, uh, there was a documentary made, uh, Amargosa, and uh, it features all of these exciting stories and more. So you, you, you should, uh, if, if the story intrigues you, you should go watch it. As a denouement of the story, it should be noted into the omnibus that in 2010, the EU and the UK, which at the time still shared a culture a one world government pre pre-brexit dream decided that boron and borax were dangerous <gasps> chemicals because if you ate if you fed large quantities of them to rats or if you breathed them into your lungs as a boron borax miner they caused sneezes well surely that would be a problem if they were in fiberglass or milk uh, you're not you should you probably shouldn't put borax in your milk uh, that that style of use fell out of favor but the EU and UK banned them so they're not uh, you cannot get them anymore you have to use a borax substitute. So we could be speaking to a, a tyrannical post-borax world here. Uh, well, it's possible I mean the slime loving uh, yeah. borax users of the future I'd like to assume our
1: listeners can produce their own slime. And that concludes the Amargosa Opera House, entry 038.JE1543, certificate number 26351 in the Omnibus. Now, uh, speaking of ghost towns, uh, you can look for uh, at Omnibus Project on social media. I'm at Ken Jennings, but I never say anything controversial or fun. John is at John Roderick, and he never says anything. You can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can, uh, you know, if you want to send us physical items that are banned in the EU, you can send those to Omnibus Project, P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. I got it. We got an email from Dave. I think he's on the last addenda show, um, or maybe an upcoming addenda show, um, complaining about your, uh, Disparagement of Trappist Monk
0: beer. Oh, I knew that there was going to be some small subset of futurelings that were really mad about my take on their craft
1: beer. Here's a a beer joke. They're hopping mad. Dave uh, thinks you were unfair to Trappist beers. Oh. And uh, as a revenge, he he knows we don't drink. So what did he send us? He sent us... A
0: sign that says, up yours?
1: He sent us um, Cistercian honey. Oh. Delicious monastery creamed honey from the Cistercian nuns of Redwoods Monastery. He emailed me to ask if I had ever, um, he, like, he knows it's a cliche, so he wouldn't send us a fruitcake. And I said, you know what? Nobody has ever actually sent me the the fabled um, awful Christmas fruitcake. And so he sent us a Trappist fruitcake. Oh, from uh, the monastery uh, Wait, fruitcake from a- the Trappists of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Is he a monk? I don't believe so. I believe he's just someone well versed on the on the delicious Catholic foods of the Western United States.
0: I uh, there is a Benedictine monk who listens to the show. There is another
1: and a Dominican priest. We have another guy who listens to the show after drinking Benedictine. Hmm. <laughs> And we have a Dominican baseball player I who always, to the show.
0: I always feel like if you are a monk, you shouldn't be listening to podcasts. You should be listening to the voice of God, but I, Maybe these are modern a, times. No, there's
1: an after Vatican II, there's an approved list of podcasts.
0: Is there? Yeah. If, uh, I bet he, Joe Rogan's. Not well, you know, on how
1: it? there's like, like a Catholic Legion of Decency that tells you like which movies are good for the soul, right? And there aren't any, right? Like once every six years, there's a documentary about prairie dogs. It's okay, <laughs> or, or some movie about some heroic Catholic priest building a building a bridge in um, in Ecuador.
0: There are fewer and fewer of those movies
1: all the time. Well, the Pope also keeps a list of podcasts mm. you can listen to. Well, I'm glad
0: that this omnibus uh, <laughs> episode is Pope-approved uh yeah um well i'm gonna enjoy that honey i don't know where you stand on on uh monastery honey
1: he was worried that he should not send us uh a, a fruitcake, which by the way says it's going to be dark and rich because maybe we are um you and i cannot eat things soaked in 120 proof brandy is that oh, is that in fact true of you full of booze do, do you not
0: eat things that are soaked uh, in 120 proof brandy you know i keep a little thing of marsala wine on the kitchen counter to add to chicken right. when i cook it Actually, I put a little Marsala in every sauce. And pour it on your cereal. <laughs> and just drink it by the bottle. Caesar salad. Yeah, and I take a swing when I'm in the middle of making it. Uh, but no, I mean, I, there's a certain amount of booze in desserts. I know. I that know. I can handle and then there's a certain amount that's like. And you don't want to err on the side of too much booze. Yeah. I mean, what I don't want is to reacclimate myself to the taste of booze or the smell of booze or the presence of booze. Um, I'm looking at, I'm trying to look at the, um, look at the ingredients
1: to see, uh.
0: I do have a couple of bottles of booze that I keep in a dark cupboard in the, in the kitchen, just in case John Hodgman comes over and wants a shot of something. But that hasn't happened in recent months.
1: Well, yeah, you don't want to relapse in alcoholism out of, uh, an abundance of courtesy to John
0: Hodgman. No, what, a, what a terrible reason. <laughs> but I also have a, I also have a bag of weed, in my house, spoiler alerts again because there was some time when Hodgman and and uh, Adam Savage were. Over and they had weed, and then they were headed to the airport and they were like, We can't take it to the airport. You and need they left some, the weed. You in need my some house. straight edge nerd friends. I know. They're nerds, but they're, I'm, they're tired of like you, partying. I'm, I'm Tired of
1: your stoner nerd friends. So I've got all these drugs at my house. God, I'm now I'm give direct exact directions to the place in your house where the
0: weed is to be found. They're in my lazy <laughs> Susan, which maybe that's why she's so lazy.
1: <laughs> hey, oh, <dude. laughs> uh well, I guess if you won't if you won't eat brandy soaked. Trappist fruitcake, more for me. Oh, the, you are going to eat it. Well, for me, it's only a theological issue.
0: Oh, sure. Like sure.
1: I'm not worried. About, I'm not going to lose any chip. I mean, I might right. go to hell, but
0: I'm not going to lose my chip. Right. You don't think uh, you don't think the the power of demon alcohol and and weed are going to dislodge you? And you're well. Gonna here's the thing. A... If it's theology,
1: it's largely an issue of your attitude toward the the fruitcake brandy. Right. So as long as I have a super chill attitude toward you toward my brandy, sure, it can't possibly disqualify
0: me from any divine favor, whereas that's probably not true of the 12-step programs. No. For me, I'm going to end up having to go go into some meeting and be like, today is my first day. I ate a fruitcake. Two days ago, I had 22 years, but now I'm back at the start.
1: (laughs) I feel like it shouldn't take you down to zero if you just have a fruitcake, but maybe it should knock 10 years off of your sober time or something.
0: You know, I quit drinking in December of 94. You're coming up on 20. No more than that, right? 2004, 2014. Oh, sorry. You're coming up on 30. Coming up on 30. years sober. I'm terrible at that. And I don't seem like a very mentally healthy person after 30 years. And you know why? Because I'm a dry drunk. I don't work the program. No. I don't I think, go to
1: the pro. I don't go to meetings. I think it's because you were, um, I think, I, I think you're much more mentally together than you would have been had you continued drinking. Oh. <laughs> the, and that's the For comparison sure. you make. Like, that's where the win is. Uh, thank you, Dave, for sending along these delicious um, uh, products of uh, of monastic mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, fruits s- of the silence and vows, fruits of the monastery. Do you think these guys can't talk to each other? They just make fruitcake all day in silence at the fruitcake line.
0: You're making it sound pretty good, actually.
1: <laughs> Does here's what the thing says: You're gonna. I, I shouldn't tempt you, but um, it's made of the finest dried pineapples, cherries, raisins, walnuts, pecans, and eggs. Lightly sweetened in honey and soaked in 120-proof brandy. And I don't know what your favorite way to age thing age things is, but mine is to a
0: delicious perfection. And that is how this is aged. The only thing uh, that could make me not want that more is if that label also referenced uh, degree in computer science and professional <laughs> sports.
1: <laughs> Actually, brandy is the last <laughs> ingredient ahead of sodium benzoate. The, the only is there th- Borax in it? <laughs> no, not in the EU. The only thing this has... Less the only thing this has like among the things this has more of than brandy are like natural flavors. Mm. Salt M S G this has more salt than brandy. MSG also. Sodium tetraborate? Uh yeah. No, no borax. This is a borax free um well, I was gonna say it's a borax free podcast, but no, this is the most borax laden <laughs> podcast currently on the market. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Um I'm just making your outro longer so that your entries are longer than mine.
0: No, you are. You're you know, this could have been so, uh, I think futurelings are aware that you want our episodes to be under an hour, and I consistently push them over an hour. This like was going to be an under-the-hour podcast, and then you and just— And then Dave's fruitcake. Yeah, then you just start talking about fruitcake, and now it just passed the one-hour mark.
1: I'm going to release this as a separate standalone episode where I talk about fruitcake, just so that your <laughs> your Borax-themed show can be uh, a little tighter.
0: I mean, you gave me the opportunity to uh, like name-check a bunch of famous friends that leave drugs at my house, which, as you know, is one of my favorite— uh, Addenda. Addenda.
1: Here's an alphabetical list of people who have left drugs at John's house: Isaac Boy. Asimov, oh, Bridget Bardo, half the MythBusters, Chuck Close. Um, you're not going to get any, either of these people in trouble by outing them as uh, people who leave
0: I weed mean, in your house. I mean, weed in Seattle is legal. They're both. They're both. Uh, I think. Well, I know Adam would like happily cop to smoking weed.
1: I've been to several live events where John Hodgman has told a. Um, stoner-friendly story. There you so go. I don't think, oh, right. The one where he
0: it, was stacking rocks in the river.
1: Uh, or, no,
0: someone at a college campus. Oh,
1: the one where, where the, the team, dad was the cool. the kid wants to get high with him yeah, or something. Yeah. But that's just something he made up after watching uh, a Revenge of the Nerds movie.
0: Nah, he just he listens to all my stories and then he just turns them into slightly nerdier versions and gets rich from them.
1: <laughs> kind of like you. He was doing dark, stars, <laughs> dark sky astronomy once in Death Valley when suddenly <laughs> he saw a radio antenna whirling overhead.
0: Um, we we're at th- one minute one or one hour one minute now. Why, uh, not, why not keep going? Why not make it a one? I've got a tight five about <laughs> fruitcake. Uh, what have I not
1: said? You can find other uh, futurelings who enjoy these boring outros and probably some that hate them uh, uh, on Facebook or I hate the music or Reddit or Discord. <laughs> yeah, sorry about this irritating music. What's up with that? I like the music. Um, if it just means you don't listen to the outro, you're going to be fine. Well,
0: except the outro is where we ask them to join our
1: Patreon. Oh, that's true. Here's what we should do: we should drop the music right now for this part of the outro. Whereas John's gonna beatbox and I'm gonna rap about Patreon. No, I'm not. Is Patreon also named in honor of carbon?
0: Oh, I bet it is. Probably boron. Patreon. Well, it's, neon. it's one
1: of the. It's one of the lighter chemical elements. Unless you give generously, in which case it'll become heavier. Um, Please support this uh, uh, bizarrely bloated show about fruitcake and Borax by (laughs) going to patreon.com slash omnibusproject right now and seeing all the cool services and uh, amenities available to you. All the things that Boron can do. (laughs) Gee, John, (laughs) I had no idea Borax was so keen.
0: (laughs) Future links from our vantage point in your distant past. We have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. If the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the on.